0: <laughs> well, I was, I was kind of distracted, because in the script, you spelled Buku Bucks the way that I assume that it's supposed to be spelled, mm. and...
1: Welcome to episode number 65 of the Memory Jar. As always, we are here to remember the cards, the decks, the people, and the stories that make magic the game we love. I'm David Presswood, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Christian Wright. Christian, how you doing?
2: I'm doing okay. You know, it's just kind of waiting for the inevitable pest swarm that's going to be happening where I live, and uh, it's not going to be fun. Not looking oh, it's, forward it's... to real-life
1: pests. Yeah, it's, it's year 17. You have cicadas this year, right?
2: Yeah! It's still going to be loud. We might not have any episodes because during the cicada uh, spawning... Because let me tell you, they are loud.
1: They are very loud. Well, I have just gotten my second vaccine, so I am uh, waiting two weeks and ready to get going. So very excited about that. Yeah, can't complain. Well, on the Magic Front, this week we have a special guest returning to the show. I see her holding her dog here on the uh, the Google Meet... Uh, You know, with Strixhaven set in a wizard school, we knew we were going to have to take ourselves back to school, and remember those late night hours in the library. And who better to talk about spending time in a library than our good friend Morgan Wentworth? Morgan, how are you doing?
0: I am doing great, and my dog no longer wants to be on the show with us, so she's going to
2: go. Boo, Gemma,
1: boo.
0: Uh, yeah, now I think the last time you talked to me, I was in the middle of library school and now I'm a full-blown certified librarian, Wow. which is really exciting. So I've got the, I've got the certification and the bona fides to go with, um, all of the books I go, I'm going to be talking about today.
1: I'm just super impressed that you went to school for a thing and now you're doing that thing instead of something totally different, like every other person I know, including me.
0: You know, you know what, it's even among my graduating class, it is not the norm, <laughs> so I was impressed too.
1: <laughs> well, congratulations, and you know, what a perfect reason to have you back on the show. I mean, last time you were on was episode 31, and we talked about your book-themed commander deck, which I assume is still going.
0: It is still going in that I still have a, a hundred cards that I can pull out of my book binder mm-hmm. anytime I want.
1: Perfect. Well, this is an interesting timing outside of the facts series, like we did last week when we did our Strixhaven facts, we really do episodes that tie into the most recent sets, but the current set, Strixhaven, literally features a huge library, so much so it's an actual biblioplex in the middle of the campus, and so we thought there's no better time to have Morgan come back and join us again. Before we hit the books, let's do what we always do and crack open the memory jar. This week's random card from Scryfall is a classic Argivian Archaeologist. So this is 1 white white for a 1-1 Human Artificer, no longer Summon Archaeologist, like it's original printing. And it says white white tap return target artifact card from your graveyard to your hand. So this is actually super thematic with Lorehold
2: yeah what are the odds right like it's an honest against archaeologist and there's a whole school devoted to it which is really weird we talked about this in the last episode but still whole school of archaeology it i imagine they talk about the tales of the argavian archaeologists in their classes
1: in their history of archaeology yeah this is a nice one i had one of these back in the day fortunately still have it now that i see it. it's 266 dollars Man, all of these old reserve list cards have gone totally nuts. So normally when we have a cool card here, we say, hey, go get your copies now. But you really, you missed the boat on the archaeologist folks. So what do you think about the card itself?
0: I love this card. I wanted to get it for my Lorehold deck because I was building the deck based on flavor. But like you said, I put it in the deck list and then saw the price of the deck go up by $200. And decided not to get it. I think it's interesting, though, because you talked about the history of archaeology, which feels redundant, but is actually very interesting, because uh, you get the Argiven the archaeologist who is digging up Thran artifacts, but then you also have more modern, quote-unquote modern, archaeologists who are then digging up Argiven artifacts. And that's really cool to me. Oh, yeah. The
1: cycle continues. And it's it's unclear where this guy is. I've always had a question about this art because he's definitely just wearing khakis and a blue polo, right? 100%. And glasses.
0: I don't know if you've ever been to a college campus, but that is most academics right there.
1: Absolutely. And it turns out that was also true in uh, Antiquities way, way back in, in 1994. It's a, it's a cool <laughs> card. I mean... You don't get this effect a lot in white, and the fact that it's repeatable, it's a very fragile creature, but, like, certainly seems commander playable. I mean, yeah. if it was cheap.
2: Uh, honestly, they could probably make this into an uncommon, and it'd be fine. It's not like Goblin Welder. I don't know. True.
0: So Argivan Archaeologist also has a successor that d- has a similar function that was printed in a modern set, so a lot more reasonable. I love this card. This is Daring Archaeologist. And it is from Dominaria, which was focused on the past. And when it enters the battlefield, you can return target artifact card from your graveyard to your hand. So it does the same thing, but only once. But whenever you cast a historic spell, you put a plus one, plus one counter on Daring Archaeologists And artifacts, legendaries, and sagas are all historic. And we've seen quite a few like legendary creatures in Strixhaven. And obviously there are a lot of different cool artifacts and sagas that have come out in recent sets. So I think that Daring Archaeologist is the spiritual successor to Archive and Archaeologist, and I wanted to to give her a little spot in the sun, too. Well,
1: and note, she she's also wearing khakis and a blue shirt. Yeah, I mean, khakis and a blue yeah, shirt. It's 100% the yeah. <laughs> spiritual successor. And I hope they continue down this track, not only the references in art to the older cards, but... This was a really cool card. I remember seeing it and thinking, like, if you can make this a four-four, which you can, if there's a, you know, artifact in your graveyard, because you just get it and you play it the next turn. The card's super powerful, but I don't recall ever getting to play it in draft because artifacts were just not a huge part of that limited format. So uh, yeah, maybe they'll continue to do it. And if we have an artifact theme set like antiquities or like you know the mirrored blocks, let's let's get another archaeologist back in there to turns up sew this around
2: and i'll say too they don't have a etb effect for like you know there's oromancer and there's mm-hmm. um archaeomancer and all that they don't have an etb version of that just for artifacts that is simply a body and a cost and that's it so maybe that's where it comes up mm-hmm. next time we finally get the complete cycle of that
1: is that right is there no just return an artifact from your graveyard to your hand not that i can recall off the top of my head we have to.
0: Well, uh, daring archaeologist returns an artifact from your graveyard to your hand when it enters the battlefield. It, it right? does,
2: but it also has the whole grow thing. It's kind of like archaeomancer just returns oh, an instant. Oh, you want the yeah. vanilla, the van- like the French vanilla? Well, let's but find out.
1: Let's find out. I know let's there are a couple of cards that will do it with an artifact or enchantment. Okay. Oh, there so was one. I'm, oh, I'm... Ma- Master Scald is close.
2: No, I was wrong. There was they did create one, but it was only in Jumpstart. Archaeominder. Oh. Yes. yes, that's right. So, so I, can, I remember because I, I,
1: I picked up a couple copies of that card. Yep. Mm, also right. Treasure Hunter. Yep. From oh, 10th Thresh. edition.
2: Yeah, let's about Treasure Hunter.
1: Also a trusty Pack Beast. So, Christian, you're just way off here. There's like we a bunch can, of I'll just card. cut
2: that. Don't worry about that.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that's, that's the magic I vote you of don't.
0: <laughs> okay, well, don't cut this part because I wanted to also put in um, what we probably all just did there was go to Scryfall. Mm-hmm which is another form of a library to the point where I was hoping that I could swing using an internship with scryfall for my coursework. But they told me since I knew the people at scryfall, I wasn't allowed to because we're supposed to be like practicing networking and stuff. But the scryfall advanced search is a great example of utilizing Boolean search terms uh, to find things as well as the metadata used in the tagger uh, as a way to... Like, get super duper specific, while also allowing you to be, like, pretty broad and return, you know, all of the cards that return an artifact from your graveyard Mm -hmm. to your hand, which is what we all just looked up.
1: (laughs) Yeah, listeners of our podcast know that we are huge fans of Scryfall, and I have all kinds of complex searches that I have saved in different places. And we don't just use the random card button. You, You can use the random card button with specific subsets of cards if you want a random instant. I have certainly been very active in the tagger feature, tagging things that are, um, you know, maybe not uh, all ages appropriate, which you know, it's important <laughs> to know what's what's in the art of your cards. But it's been a wonderful resource, and I can't believe we used to use Gatherer. So in a
2: Discord that I run, I actually had a conversation today where someone said that Scryfall was worse than Gatherer, and I've never been so mad at something in my life. I was like, you are factually wrong. Just because you're old fuddy-duddy, I didn't go use these words. I like the person I was, I was arguing about this with, but like, apparently Scryfall just is too weird with the spoilers or something. And I was like, no, you just
1: you just don't know how to search. In their defense, Gatherer does have user ratings of cards that haven't been functional for a decade. So if that's what you're yeah. looking for, <laughs> it does have that. It's on a great
0: hall. time capsule. Yeah, I I used to love going and looking through those user ratings.
1: Oh yes, yeah. oh yeah. Long series of digressions, but hey, are giving an archaeologist cool random card to get from Scryfall. Let's talk about the main topic. So Morgan is here to talk with us about books, specifically books that they are not teaching at Strixhaven. Morgan came to us with this idea, and we thought it was perfect. So my assumption is that the Biblioplex has all kinds of archives and little like secret nooks and crannies and restricted books rooms and all of this stuff. But there are probably a lot of things that still don't make the cut from all over the multiverse. And I want to know what those things are. What are the students not allowed to even know about? Uh, If you want to dive deeper on this subject, by the way, there's a great list of in multiverse books at the MTG wiki. And I will link to that in the show notes. And I hope that you all tweet books at us that you want to talk about because we want to hear them all.
0: Yeah, and tag me because I want to. I want to know what in Universe Books that you are like talking about. Uh, yeah, so a, a quick note about the Biblioplex. The Biblioplex is uh, said to hold the knowledge of the multiverse, so it is supposedly has everything imaginable in it, which to me is bad curation because <laughs> as a librarian, what you're supposed to do is determine what does, and what does not go in the library. And that can be on all sorts of different criteria. And we are going to address some of those criteria <laughs> in the, that would maybe lead a book to just not be included in the Biblioplex's collection, and that you might have to get uh, on interlibrary loan from the Library of Alexandria.
1: So, Morgan, give us an example of a book. Yeah, what,
2: what a criteria are you thinking that they should follow
0: so uh one example is a book that is just hope- hopelessly out of date uh a book where the knowledge in it may have been cutting edge at the time but is no longer particularly relevant so for example i want to bring up our first in-universe book uh this is baron's codex which is a card from urza saga which um I did a lot of deep dives into the lore of sets too, because the lore of the set usually is reflected by the contents of the book, which is really great. Um, but Urza Saga is just hopelessly out of date. Uh the card is a four-mana artifact that says during your upkeep, you may put a page counter on Baron's Codex, and then you can pay for and sacrifice Baron's Codex to draw X cards where X is the number. Of page counters on Baron's Codex, and that is a total of eight mana for potentially one card. You have to wait so long in order to get that card. So the book is just hopelessly obsolete at this point and probably wouldn't be included. Also, Baron's Codex is what I am assuming Baron the Wizard, who was the head of the Telerian Academy, wrote. In the time that Urza and Co were running around the academy and fighting bad guys. At that time, the Telerion Academy was like covered in little time pockets that were slower or faster, and Baron himself was going to like different places to become younger so that he could fight more. And which was interesting because people actually at the time called out the difference in baron's appearance between different cards where in one he was an old man and in one he had like dark hair and like a dark beard and <laughs> mark rosewater himself explained it that you know he was time traveling so i'm sure baron's codex is also just not organized properly <laughs> anymore <laughs> uh.
2: yeah that's um qu- instantly the time stream is the reason why teferi still appears young as along with joyra Because in the book, they both got sucked into the slow time, time stream part of Teleria. Flavor update.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, card seems wildly unplayable unless you just have a lot of lot of turns to wait, or you get six upkeeps for some reason. I mean, eight mana—it's totally ridiculous. And there are so many.
0: If if one person had. Time to wait for that to get up to you know a good amount of cards. It's barren That's all I gotta say. No,
1: that that's true. There are a lot of books that draw cards in the multiverse, and I think we're fine leaving this one in the dustbin of history.
2: Well, coincidentally, from a gameplay's perspective, in the next set after Baron's Codex, they printed Urza's Blueprints, which you can read. Right, you read blueprints to figure out how to build something, and it six and it has Echo, and it just says tap draw a card, and already it's more mana efficient than in time efficient than baron's codex ever would be but i just love how you know it immediately got outclassed like the second the set right after it was released and no one ever played it. i don't even know why it was rare this is magic was weird back then you know you don't that's know. that's just urza rubbing baron's nose in it in the city <laughs> man exactly So what's another criteria besides the fact that it's out of date?
0: Um, Another criteria would be one where the library did not have the tools to preserve the book. We kind of consider books to be vessels of knowledge, but they're also physical things, which is something that libraries have to take into consideration. This is why, and it's not necessarily a book, but this is why uh, (laughs) libraries like the one where I went to school have tape decks and dehydration machines because it turns out if the cellophane in physical tapes gets too damp, it'll ruin the tape. So you have to dehydrate it in order to be able to use it and to digitize it. So, in this case, I think that Grimoire of the Dead would be a candidate for a book that the library just wouldn't have the tools to preserve, because if you take a look at Grimoire of the Dead, it is very clearly made from human skin, and that is something that definitely needs to be in a humidity-controlled area. Additionally, there are bones, which means that you need to prevent some sort of- the, the chemical reactions- that happen when you are handling calcium and calcium meets with other certain chemicals. I didn't do great at chemistry class, that's why I'm a librarian, but there are some reactions that do that. I think hydrogen peroxide is one, don't quote me on that. But yeah, the the, the human skin factor, I think, outweighs its potential usefulness uh, <laughs> as uh, an item in the Biblioplex collection.
1: Yeah I wonder what humidity combination you need to preserve both bones and skin and if if that's different and the fact that we're even having that conversation (laughs) makes me think there might be some ethical concerns about having the grimoire of the dead in your library. Yes well also
2: the fact that you don't want I mean this is going to go down another rabbit hole but you don't want students to pull out their grimoire and then summon a zombie army from underneath Lorehold which are probably Mm. also Kozilek beings too so like very problematic
0: the, the 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 content is so i'm uh I'm a, I'm a person who thinks that content is probably going to be like the fourth or fifth thing that i consider when it comes to curation because libraries are supposed to be like a place where you hold knowledge right so i'm, I'm not going to say don't include grimoire because it talks about how to raise the dead but in this case, I think the uh, ability to raise the dead is just so close to the surface, as it were, <laughs> uh... that it probably is, candid- is a candidate for exclusion on those grounds as well. But as a person who is interested in books as artifacts, I would want to be able to preserve like the wrinkles on the knuckle joints of the hand that serves as the cover. right? And I I wouldn't want to risk that in an environment that is as big and therefore as varied as the biblioplex is.
1: Yeah, that certainly makes sense. And you could have the book and just not let the students read it, not teach it to the students. Those are different things. It's important to preserve, but maybe you don't want to share these lessons with impressionable young students. Although there might be a new day rising at Strixhaven now that the veil is off of Professor Onyx. I did, after we talked about it last week, go and read all the magic story. And the last paragraph from the last magic story for Strixhaven involved uh, Liliana introducing herself as the professor of the necromantic arts course, and said, "My name is Professor Liliana Vess. Oh. The the veil is off, as it were, and she's uh, that's a that's a chain veil pun. There you go, folks. And uh, she's." Um, Disclosed her her true identity, so she's. Got, I mean, it's necromantic art. She's going to raise some zombies. She might need a Grimoire of the Dead, or a Stitcher's Tome, or a Necromancer's Handbook, or any of these other things from around the multiverse.
0: One of the things that's interesting um, is that there aren't zombies mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. Uh, in the man in the traditional manner of speaking on uh, on the on the plane where Strixhaven takes place, uh, Arcavios and the, the colors where you would expect to see traditional zombies are black and green, but instead of using bringing dead things back to life to use them that way, they are killing things such as uh, pests in order to uh, use that energy that way. Uh, additionally, the college that is most concerned with the past does not bring physical people of the past back to life, um, they bring spirits of those people back or they bring statues to life, which is completely different than zombies. Like you're 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 more worried about the essence of something in lore Hold than you are with its physical form. Well, then, except for where the physical form makes sense to study like a piece of sure. work. Yes.
1: Well, then zombies are certainly the opposite of that. They're none of the essence and all purely the physical form. It'll be interesting if Liliana can add to that or if she's just going to turn everything on Archavios on its head.
2: There is officially one zombie in Archavios Mm. and that is Moldering Karak, which is a two black green for a 3-3 zombie crocodile. Oh. Has trampled a lifeline. But a zombie crocodile. So the only thing that are zombies are the crocs and that is terrifying. So... (laughs)
0: Yeah, I mean, you, you think that they could have made, like, I don't know, the squirrels the zombies. Although squirrels themselves are also very terrifying, so they, I take that
1: back. <laughs> that seems very reasonable. Have we ever had a zombie squirrel in Magic? I don't think that we have. Only one but way to find out. Yeah. <laughs> that certainly seems like it is ripe for the next unset. Oh, absolutely. No, no, no zombie squirrels. We're just going to have to rely on our changelings for the time being. <laughs> All right, what's another criteria that would cause you to exclude a book?
0: I think that value is an important thing to take into consideration as well. And this, this kind of goes uh, hand in hand with the preservation aspect, because there is uh, an interesting part of accessibility where libraries are a good place for people to go to read books that they otherwise couldn't afford. If you are a student... You know this very well. Uh, <laughs> however, there are books where their value isn't necessarily in the knowledge that they contain, but in what they represent. For example, the Tome of the Guild Pact. Uh, the Tome of the Guild Pact is-, is featured pretty heavily in the story of um, War of the Spark. It is the as far as I could tell, this was this is what my research showed. It is the original Guild Pact, authored by Azor, and kept under glass. So the 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 the, the Tome of the Guild Pact here isn't used as a uh, as a piece of knowledge. It actually the the laws uh, that the Guild Pact represents are now embodied by Jace, the Living Guild Pact. Mm-hmm. However, it is definitely more of a historical artifact than. Um, than a knowledge-based one and as such the more appropriate place to put it would be in a museum
1: that makes perfect sense and you know it doesn't mean you can't have copies of the text but yeah the original tome of the guild pact i mean azor is not going to write a new one he's just on ixalan forever so good luck getting to the the big sphinx i think if this were accessible even in that form it'd be pretty confusing to students at strixhaven can you imagine them reading the descriptions in the Tome of the Guild Pact about, like, oh, yes, here's the Boros and what they're into, and the Lorehold being like, wait, this is what you use red and white mana for? Like, what what are you people doing? Why are
2: there three armies? <laughs> this is... <Yeah. laughs> um, I actually... So here's the other thing, too. I think Tome of the Guild Pact is better in a museum than it would be in a library, because it's been... Well, we've talked about this a lot, listeners, in our previous Ravnica podcasts, but I'm 99% sure most of Ravnica can't read, except for the people who are in Azorius. So it would be wasted anyway. It'd just be, or maybe also the Orzhov Guild and Azorius Guild will read. Everyone else is just kind of out of luck and good luck. And I, I, I think it's just meaningless. Be like, I don't understand.
1: Like, I just... <sighs> They're kind of pegged into their own things, and reading is not fundamental in most of that uh, education system, I'm guessing. I don't you think know, there is the an education gruel- system. <laughs> no there is I mean you go to gruel school and they just yell smash and then smash everything right True. but yeah. you know other than telling you what to smash there's not even a lot of vocalization on that front
0: yeah I like to think of the Ravnica education system as more of a Montessori system mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. you learn a lot by doing and by experiences whether that is to smash or in the case of the it to blow things up or in the case of the Simic to see what happens when you combine a frog and a shark and an octopus yeah it's terrifying, by it the It is way. terrifying.
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, thank God and, and we have a, f- a whole plane f- devoted to where everyone reads, finally, because that's a step of progress <laughs> for most magic planes, right? Like, you're not telling me that everyone in Dominaria read, because I'm telling you that's not the case.
0: <laughs> well, it's interesting, because if you look at, going back to Baron's Codex, that ha- mostly is full of pictures. So you can kind of imagine that the communication system was more of a form of, like, not even pictographs, but just using pictures to convey meaning rather than necessarily using a codified written language.
1: Sure. Okay. I suppose especially when you're talking about people who are planeswalkers or aware that there is a multiverse, you're going to need some pictures because the idea that people on different planes would all speak the same language is some uh, Star Trek fantasy BS. And so, you know, you might as well <laughs> be able to illustrate however you can.
2: How do you explain Commodore Guff, though?
1: I don't explain Commodore Guff at all. Why not you, Christian? <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, I don't, not, this is past this podcast, but suffice to say, that whole trick with, if I remember correctly, please tweet at us if I'm wrong, but if I remember correctly, he ch- takes pages out of a history book to change history in the Invasion cool. pl- Planes Shift Apocalypse storyline, if I remember correctly. Sort of like Tamio opening the Scroll spoiler with Imrakul. Imrakul's like, nah, I'm just going to change this story. <laughs> So I don't know what's going. I guess it's just like apparently you can change history if you're a Mary Sue planeswalker.
0: Wow, well, Christian, do you have some uh, problems with the magic story that you want to talk about right now? Or... No, 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 no,
2: that's not the <laughs> not the focus of this podcast. I bring. It I up don't know.
1: Something. I think it's been a, of a consistent quality level since 1993. I don't know about you guys. <laughs>
0: um, I want to bring up a book that probably would be banned from Strixhaven. I think that a lot of the time books could be banned for pretty frivolous reasons and I'm going to also ascribe a frivolous reason to this one too and it is because it doesn't necessarily fit the worldview of the people who exist within Strixhaven uh, and this is largely calling out the Lorehold but also it is like the, the Lorehold isn't the only college that can have thoughts about history and this is uh, Sarpedian Empire's Volume 7. This is the only volume that has a card. And this this is my big gripe with Lorehold. I love it to pieces. But I think that Lorehold fails to take into account the slant that books take, regardless of whether or not they're intended to be something like propaganda. And it's because books are written by people, and there are, therefore they do have intentions behind them. So using books as a representation of what it was actually like in the before times is probably less useful than, like, talking to the elder dragons who were actually there and coincidentally are still around. Sarpedian Empires goes the other way, however. The actual creatures that participated in the fall... <laughs> Of the Sarpedian Empire are stuck in the book. All of the creature types in Sarpedian Empires participated in the overtaking of the like so-called uh, banner race for that color. For example, the Homorids, uh overtook the the Merfolk in, in terms of in the time of the fall of Sarpedia. Ironically, goblins are the only quote unquote alternative race. Uh, to do really well since then. Uh, And the only goblin that we see depicted in Strixhaven was one that was rejected from Strixhaven. And I think that just kind of goes to show history is actually written by the winners.
1: Yeah. I'm a little disturbed by the fact that the book creates creatures. That's also something where... That's a pretty serious multimedia um, obligation. (laughs) If you're going to make creatures, then you have to support them and feed them and house them. And so, you know, maybe use the book sparingly. I'll just read the card because it's it's kind of a weird one. So, Sarpedian Empires, Volume 7. Um, the title's all in italics, first of all, which is highly relevant. I believe the only black border card that has any italics in the title. It's uh, three generic mana for an artifact. As it enters the battlefield, you choose White Citizen, Blue Camarid, Black Thrall, Red Goblin, or Green Sapperling. Then you pay three and tap to create a 1-1 one, one creature token of the color and type so i've seen this used mostly for goblins and sapperlings i don't know that anybody has ever said you know i i really need to make some camarades with my Sarpedian empires volume seven in this commander deck but is it that's the kind of thing that's gonna take some serious work on the part of the librarians to uh deal with what comes out of it
2: i w- i will say from a gameplay perspective i did play this in time spiral limited because it was mm-hmm. a six essentially a three-man token generator and yeah like i think i did create mostly goblins with it but still <laughs> cool art too it's a wild book i don't know if i could pick that book out actually based on the cover there's a there's a homerid on it there's a thrall and there's some there's the goblin it's got all five of the races it's uh it's actually pretty terrifying
1: <laughs> yeah the fact that light is shining out of the book is maybe an additional challenge i don't know if that's you need to recharge it or well, it's kind of you
2: know like there's that 90s film effect where like someone opens something and it's like you hear the angelic chorus and there's like yeah. a blast of light. I think that's this. I think this is where it comes
1: from. This is the original source of that. Like okay, it's like Marcellus Wallace briefcase. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
0: That's what I was thinking too. I think that's
1: <laughs> perfect. And then a camera it popped out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was what was in it all, yeah. the whole time. Cool. Now we know. <laughs> And the last book that I wanted to talk about, um, I think people would want it included in the biblioplex because of the potential for academic merit, but I wanted to talk about uh, Folio of Fancies. Uh, Folio of Fancies is one of the more recent additions to the uh, Magic the Gathering card with books in the art canon. Uh, it's from Throne of Eldraine, and I love it very much. I'll read the text first because this is one of the best flavor-to-mechanics representations of a book that I have found in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the Magic Book universe, and it is one in a blue for an artifact. It says, players have no maximum hand size. Uh, you can pay XX and tap it to make each player draw X cards. Or you can pay two and a blue and tap it uh, for each opponent to put a number of cards equal to the number of cards in their hand from the top of their library into their graveyard. And this is kind of... I don't know if we mentioned this in the last video, but the backs of magic cards are literally meant to look like a book. Mm -hmm. If you you take a look at them, they're meant to look like a a, a classic leather-bound fantasy tome. And... Folio of Fancies really plays with the idea of cards as books and cards as knowledge. Um, so the players have no maximum hand size. So in your immediate, uh, you are able to look at as many uh, as many pieces of knowledge as you want, and you can for like an unlimited amount of mana, you can draw an unlimited, or you can experience an unlimited number of knowledge. However, the downside is. Uh, once you have all of this knowledge, you are also going to lose uh, other pieces of your memories into your graveyard or into, into the ether where they're no longer accessible to you. And it's just the kind of book where you can look at it day after day after day and get absorbing things from it. But at the end of it, you're just going to have nothing. And it's so cool. <laughs> I love it so much. Like, while you're looking at it... You're so absorbed in it that you don't notice that maybe the the rest of your life is just running away. And it reminds me of the real-life example of the Vaniage Manuscript, which is a book where people have spent so long trying to translate it. And it might be a hoax, or it might have some cultural context that we are missing, where... Um, We aren't able to translate it because it is a series of, like, pictures and drawings and then uh, a language that is unidentified. As of the last time I checked on the Vaniage manuscript, because there's constantly updates about it. Uh, But every time somebody says that they have translated the Vaniage manuscript, it's just another theory. And at the end of the day, we're spending so much time looking at this manuscript and, you know, missing the world around us.
1: Yeah, I had not made that connection between that and Folio of Fancies. And when you put that in the show notes, I was like, oh my god, you're dead right. Even the art of Folio of Fancies looks just like it. I mean, it's it yeah. seems like a direct reference. It's something that I certainly missed.
2: I missed it too. And you could tell, because it's kind of hard to tell too, unless you really look at the card art, that the, the text, there's that little portal they have for Eldraine, like with the elk walking through. But everything else, it has like this random spider, or snake, sorry. It has this lighthouse. It looks kind of like gibberish, right? Mm -hmm. But it's hard to tell unless you zoom in, but thank goodness we can zoom into magic art. (laughs) Thanks to scryfall.com. Scryfall.com, all your magic searching needs in one place.
1: We are not sponsored by Scryfall, but... Please sponsor (laughs) us.
2: Yeah, uh, I'll speak for a gameplay perspective. This card sucks. I hate it.
1: (laughs) Uh, That's a not... A surprising reaction from you christian i love it on the other hand and I, it does have that duality in the gameplay where when you activate it and each player draws x cards your opponents are briefly very happy because they've gotten that knowledge and then slowly they start to get sadder and sadder as the rest of their knowledge disappears i'm just this, saying
2: there are yeah. so many cube games arena cube games where i play it on turn two and then my opponent goes nice nice good game and then i mill them for the next three straight turns and they just look very sad and i hate that because i do it they do it everyone does it it's lame lame could have
1: just been a mythic in that limited format to be honest just like fewer games with folio of fancies would have been fine for everybody yes
0: The thing that I really appreciate about Folio of Fancies is it gives my book decks the shadow of a hope of winning the (laughs) game somehow, because most books don't really do anything that's very proactive. They draw you a lot of cards, which, don't get me wrong, best thing in the game, but uh, this one, I might have a win condition, although, you know, uh, (laughs) it's kind of hard to have an artifact survive if people don't want it to survive sure. in in the game magic the gathering commander so
2: i have a question then morgan do you yes do you play a do you play library of latin Am in your book edh as a staple
0: uh it's not a staple but i do include it because it is fun to explain what it does yes
2: <laughs> and two do you then just search for folio fancies every time they're like yeah tutor for five i don't care and you're like okay folio fancies draw some cards <laughs> i win the game
0: you know, it's no because it's it's you ha- you have to kind of have some sort of variety. That's true because there are a lot of really cool cards. Like for example, if I'm feeling really really frisky when I'm playing Commander, uh, I'll just want Spelljack in my hand because mm. Spelljack is another card with a a book in the art and B just fantastic art and C a pretty reasonable effect for uh, Commander when everybody else is doing kind of absurd things.
1: My kind of card 100% of the time. So now that we've gone through the criteria and some examples, we just want to fire a couple books at you, get your impressions, see if you think it's something you would include or not. You know, a lot of interesting books throughout the multiverse. I want to start with the Underworld cookbook. So, has never had a card, but is referenced in flavor text of Granite Gargoyle from Alpha, Lightning Axe from Time Spiral, and then Sauté, which was in Unhinged, and... You know, important to note that the author of this cookbook is Asmora Nomartica Deistina Koldekar. That's my guess on how you are you correct. That. I did it. Okay, I did it as fast as you You're correct. We'll just say Asmora for short. Yep. You know, my argument would be nobody in Strixhaven wants to bother pronouncing the author's name. And, you know, it's, it's kind of sketchy. It's about how to cook different creatures from all across the multiverse. Maybe not something that has... I don't know. Maybe not something that has a lot of educational value, because you probably shouldn't be cooking a lot of the creatures it's talking about.
2: Right. Yeah. That's my argument, too. What do you think, Morgan?
0: I would agree that this one has kind of an unsavory subject
2: matter. Ooh! Ooh, good pun!
0: Thank you. I've been been practicing. Uh, (laughs) But, on the other hand, I think that this is a really important cultural artifact from... Uh, where is Granite Gargoyle from? The Underworld? The Un... Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it is from limited edition Alpha. So it, it's, it's... So the, the value of the Underworld cookbook isn't necessarily in its recipes. It is rather in the uh, cultural context that is surro- that is being provided by the recipes. And I think that gives it academic value. Uh, so it should be included.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay. There we go. Uh, it's, it's an interesting artifact just for background. Cause I don't know that we've really talked about this on the show. Um, Asmore was a wizard who summoned a Lord of the pit. So there's like an alpha story there, but according to the MGG Wiki he ran out of stuff to feed it. So she just kept cooking different dishes. She, she became its servant for seven years and seven days, Lord of the pit being a seven, seven, see how that works. And so she wrote the underworld cookbook and made 20 copies so only two copies sold. And so she ordered some imps to burn the rest, but the line to the incinerator was too long, and so they just sent him to the overworld by accident instead. And so then Asmore was haunted by all of the creatures she described as being delicious in the book. And so there's a little bit of danger involved in the process. I'm just still waiting for an Asmore card. There's no reason that Asmore shouldn't be present in Unset at some point.
2: Maybe we'll find out with Modern Horizons too. Maybe we'll finally get Asmore. Who
1: knows? <laughs> wow. And on a competitive, you know, summons a 7-7. Seven, seven. Who knows? Who knows? Hell yeah. Okay, so the next one, I just
2: want to see if an old book is worth it. So this one is Fool, Fool's Tome. It's from Tempest. The card itself is 4 for an artifact, 2 tap draw a card, uses ability, only you have no cards in your hand. Whatever. Let's read the flavor text because I think this is just the pitch for it, right? So Squee asks, what's that? Eretai responds, it's a magical book. Squee. Am I smart enough to use it? Eretai. You could say that. So, is there any value including this when you have to be dumb to read it? I don't know.
0: So, I want you to consider this book differently than you would, like, a normal book. Like, a normal book is, like I said, a vessel for knowledge. This is more of a novelty gag that you get from a gift shop for five dollars when you're trying to entertain your nephew and uh as a result it is it would not be included in the
2: library no that's fair i also think Squeeze the only one who has a copy of this so that (laughs) it'd be hard to pry it from his never dying hands
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah he'd always come back for it okay here's one for me what about scroll of fate So, Scroll of Fate is an artifact from Commander 2019. It's three generic mana, and you tap it to manifest a card from your hand. So, manifest is you put a card from your hand on the battlefield face down as a 2-2 creature, and then if it's a creature underneath, you can turn it face up for its regular mana cost. So, it kind of is playing with fire because it's turning creatures into other creatures it's turning spells lands anything else you have into creatures that life creation thing that i i don't know i find a little worrisome my worry also
2: is that you could just find out what your grades are going to be right is that is that your take because that's what i when i see read scroll of fate i'm like let's go to the end oh you're on you're on the full it's telling
1: a future situation yeah yeah. okay
0: uh so this one is again a little bit of uh, a different way of using books than what we see on strixhaven um and i would like to introduce the flavor text mm-hmm. of this card into the discussion as well ugin says our stories define our reality so as a result i think that this is not necessarily uh, a book that is meant to inform but rather it is meant to kind of reflect what is happening in the real life in in reality mm-hmm. and as such i don't think it actually belongs in the library because it's not done mm. like that's it's the whole never ending story bit where this book isn't finished it isn't complete And it won't ever be, and as a result, it (laughs) needs to be written, and publishers aren't going to make any money from it. Honestly, that's the reason. (laughs) Like, the licensing is going to be a pain in the butt.
1: Morgan, I have to say, your takes on these books, you're very wise. I'm going to start consulting you about, like, my daily problems in my regular life and see what your answers are, because... Also, I really appreciate the Ugin voice, and I only now realize that, Christian, we really boffed an opportunity where we could have done Fool's Tomes Flavor Text. It's like a little one-act play between Squee and Ertai, and we just, we didn't
2: pull we it could, off. We could do it if you I want. Mean, <laughs> power of editing, there. Yeah, do you want to be Ertai? I'll
1: be Squee. Uh, well, I, I don't know. Are you more the Squee in that situation? That's a conversation for another time. We'll have to... I feel like that's <laughs> we'll another that type out. of conversation, too, so...
2: um, I'm going to introduce one. This might tie into the real world a little too much, so... On one card in New Phyrexia, it's Gore Vassal. It does stuff. Don't worry about what it does. The the flavor text references the Tome of Machines, verse 1703. And it says, rid them of their unfaithful organs, bring new hearts to the unbelievers. So the Tome of the Machines is clearly the Phyrexian Tome of Machines. It's their history. We don't know what it is. It's only been on one card. So my question, Morgan, is would this be included in the archive in... If not, why not? Because I have a theory, but I want to hear your take first. So
0: this is an interesting one because it sounds like a religious text. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I do not know uh, what Strixhaven's approach to religion is. Um, When I was involved in learning history uh, as a latin student in my undergraduate years Uh, it was religion was part of it and so i would think that the history department of strixhaven would also be interested in history however one of the important things to keep in mind is the words of a book are not their only content when it comes to magic books uh In some books, the words themselves are a source of power and a source of influence over the world around them. I would strongly suspect that this being a Phyrexian tome, uh, that was the case. And I think as a matter of safety, I would do some heavy testing and probably read a bunch of research papers on the effect of Phyrexian books on student populations at other libraries before I brought it into my own.
1: <laughs> yeah, if you if you read these out loud, do you somehow summon the Phyrexians or whatnot? Because that's just bad news for everybody.
2: No, my theory is, I think that the professors Strixhaven don't believe the Phyrexians are real because they happened so long ago in Magic's history that they're they assume they're wiped out. So I think if they were presented a new um, new Frexian text, they'd be like, this is not real, this is fake news, and then throw it out. That's my wooden
1: take. Would Lorhold be able to like summon the spirits of the Frexians? Because that also seems like that's bad news. That's terrible news. Well, I was going to bring up Cursed Scroll <laughs> from Tempest, but I think that probably has the same problem as Tome of Machines, where the university is going to have to carry some pretty serious additional liability insurance for its students if it puts this in the library. And, um, you know, I I don't know that they're they're cut out for that.
0: Yeah, no, I think that a lot of the time when it comes to the inclusion of things that could be potentially dangerous um, and, you know, in real world libraries, this might not be books, but it could be, for example, a 3D printing machine. You have to consider the benefits of the addition to the library as opposed to the costs. In terms of the 3D printing machine, it might require additional safety equipment, it might be require somebody with special training to show uh, patrons how to use it, but at the end of the day, you are allowing uh, your patrons access to something that they might not necessarily have at home, and those, uh, those costs could be outweighed by the benefits to the community. In this case, you're just sometimes randomly cursing people, and uh, <laughs> Honestly, you can probably find a copy that isn't cursed and uh, have it f- fulfill like much the same function in terms of the text without without the downsides.
2: <laughs> I love how you had this very thoughtful, analytical explanation before, but the the conclusion is really: it says cursed. Why do we want this? <laughs> like, why would you want a cursed scroll? Like, what do we do it here? No one's asking the obvious questions that my shirt answers. So, this book shows up in a couple of cards, flavor texts in uh, Shadowmore. It's the Book of Other Folk. And the, basically, it, it shows up on three cards Flow of Ideas, Old Gaspark, and Warren Weirding. And basically, the Book of Other Folk just um, tells other people about what they should be aware of other creature types on Shadowmore. So, my question is I guess with same as Sarpedian Empires Volume 7 is this possibly too racist?
0: I think there is some arguments that the cultural context that a book like this would provide is valuable. On the other hand, if I knew that um, merfolk or tree folk or goblins were at my school, um, I would want them to feel welcome. And having a book like this and touting it as a piece of literature is the opposite of making people feel welcome. I think that... It is important to acknowledge that racist beliefs like this exist, but you don't have to hold it up as a piece of literature. You it's it's not necessary. And as a result, I think that this one is yes, you're right. Too racist to be at the biblioplex. And not only that, it's just wrong. It's people spouting their racist folk tales about other races. It's basically like I don't know if you remember this, but, like, books of Norwegian jokes mm-hmm. that used to be sold at Barnes & Noble in, like, 2000. <laughs> Look, I'm a Minnesota. That's basically what Only it is. the Alina
1: jokes are just part of the culture. Yeah, I'm very familiar.
0: <laughs> and we can say that they're just part of the culture, but really, what are they adding? Nothing.
1: No, absolutely not. But, I mean, I remember them being, you know, all over the place growing up, and I haven't seen one in 10 years, so that's probably a good sign.
0: Yes, and I, I want to point out that uh, Ole and Lena joke books are, I'm sure, not the only example of this, but this is the one that is relevant to me, who is a Norwegian person. <laughs> I,
2: I don't think we had those in the Barnes and Nobles and Borders here 20 years ago, but to be Probably fair, not. I just beelined yeah. straight to Goosebumps and to <laughs> Harry Potter, so I don't.
1: You skipped the Scandinavian jokes section that in no, Virginia?
2: I did. No, I did. Although the one I do regret not buying is i borders in singapore when i lived there they had magic books and Mm -hmm. i should have picked them out and i should have just tried to send for the cards even though it was (laughs) like two years after this would have worked and seen if i actually could have gotten the card or not but
1: oh that's i got my man equipped from a magic book so you know it worked for some of us all right i want to talk about one more and this is kind of a special case and it's not really about holding a book in the library i want to talk about cody vociferous codex So I don't know that I need to read what Cody does. The point is he's a three-mana artifact creature construct, and he's just a living book. And I just want to point out, Cody's a creature. Uh, He he can teach, but you cannot really teach from Cody. I feel like if you opened his face and read it to the class, that might be a problem for folks. You should respect other sentient beings. My question is, does Cody live in the library? What are your thoughts on this subject?
0: does Cody want to live in the library? Well, I, I think,
1: like... i That's my that's, question. Where it's does he live? It's part of the live? question.
0: Yeah. I, I think the, the most important thing to consider is Cody's own attitude towards the library. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Cody has uh, legs and can wander around the campus of Strixhaven just of as easily as a lost first-year student. And as a result, uh, it uh, opens up a lot of options. And I think makes the campus a lot more accessible for them as a book and i think that like determining that cody lives in the library simply because they are a book is the wrong way of going about things Um, considering that cody is a talking book that's literally what the name vociferous codex Mm -hmm. means I think we should ask them. Yeah,
1: no, I I fully agree with that. I think my question is more not knowing anything else about Cody, because Cody's significantly underrepresented in the magic story, and, uh, you know, I think that's very frustrating for all of us. I don't know if a talking book would be interested in living in a library because the other books are there, or is it so different than the other books because they're not sentient, and it is, that that makes a difference. Or do you allow someone who is vociferous to be in the library long term anyway? Because, you know, that's not, you're not supposed to talk loud in the library.
0: You, you bring up a good point. I think, like, on the one hand, I am very concerned about respecting Cody, but I also want to respect the other people at Strixhaven. So there is some amount of compromise that needs mm-hmm. to be done, uh, as well as just being aware of what's going on around you. So Cody being a book that likes to talk to people might feel more comfortable in the library because that is where people go to experience books anyways. And it would actually be a great place for them because they, they would get to talk to people who are an attentive audience. However, I think you're right. I think that knowing the use that you want the library to be put to is very important. But then again, Libraries are increasingly becoming collaborative spaces, and going into a library and expecting complete quiet just isn't realistic these days.
1: That's true. I think there's just a lot of unanswered questions in this situation. You know, Cody's obviously a construct. Was Cody a book that existed in this library first and then was animated? Or did Cody come to Strixhaven as an already animated book? There's just, you know, we need a deep dive on Cody lore, and I'm going to look for someone to provide that.
2: I have a question about Cody, which implies some terrible dark things about the magic universe. So mm. in the teaser trailer for Strixhaven, Cody has a Brooklyn accent. So does that imply A that other accents in the American North East are exist? And B, does that mean we can get a Philly accent from a character sometime soon? <laughs> because I just wanna hear like Urza be like you know, oh, where's the Wooter Ice? What's
1: that, John? Right. I need to kill the Fryaxians. Like, now, now <laughs> I just want to know you're making me want to know if Cody has a Brooklyn accent because Cody is from Brooklyn or because Cody is a book about Brooklyn. That's a good question. Maybe the original <laughs> book for Cody was
2: a, a Tree Grows in Brooklyn. And All it right. just. It just that's how it sprouted. Actually, I guess it would have been more like traditional old world Irish if that was the case. But you know. That
0: so I actually happen to know the background of Cody, the vociferous codex. Oh, okay. um, so I want to uh, cite the Wizards article "Legends of Strixhaven," which is where I've seen this information before. Um, it's a sense. It's a centuries-old tome of convoluted mystical knowledge that has become gradually self-aware. Uh, and it reads its own text aloud. Mm. Uh, so I th- I think that that is an, a- an answer to your question of what came first, the book or the brain? And the answer is the book. It is also more properly known by the Codex Vocifera, uh, but it is called Cody on the card, which I
1: think is pretty cheeky. According to uh, this article, it doesn't like the name Cody. The students started calling it Cody, and it just stuck, even though the Codex Vocifera doesn't like that. So
0: I, I think because it doesn't like that is yeah, why I just, it
1: stuck. I feel like that's just inappropriate to put it on the card, then. You know, Codex Vociferous not getting enough respect, is what I'm saying. Yes.
2: Actually, Codex Vociferous is a much better name, in my opinion.
1: Also, it saves some space. I like a more truncated name. All right, any final words on books in Strixhaven?
0: I think in Strixhaven, it is extremely important to know what you're looking for because there are so many options for sources of knowledge that it is very easy to get lost. And in the case of the Biblioplex, probably very literally get lost. So when you want to find a book, I think, Having great search tools is important, uh, which brings me to our sponsor. <laughs> <No. laughs> um, consulting a library a librarian is also something that you can do to help become more focused when you're looking for information, and a librarian could take the form of like a content creator if you are looking for information on decks. Or a librarian could be the form of someone like me, who knows how to ask you questions in order to narrow down what you're looking for and understand the purpose of your search for information.
1: Before we go, I want to just talk a little bit about the move from blocks to individual sets. And I'm really curious what my co-host and our guest may think about this. So I think there's a general consensus that the move to all large sets that are drafted alone has been pretty good. The draft environments have played really well over the last couple years, and we haven't had to worry about how the sets line up, where you're drafting two packs of one and one pack of another, or, God forbid, the one pack of each of three sets. And we've kind of eliminated the small set mythic scarcity issue, where the third small set isn't drafted very much, and so the mythics are kind of hard to get a hold of. The problem I have is the story. So if you listened to our last show, and I mentioned it today, you remember that Christian didn't even try to explain the lore of Haven. And I didn't bother. I hadn't read the story yet. I think that the full new story for every set is too much. It's a lot of characters. It's these really compact, tight little stories. And then we just move on immediately. Like, do you guys remember what happened in the story in Dominaria or Caldheim or Ikoria? Like, bits, uh, bits and pieces, I mean, but oh, broadly, no.
2: Yeah, I think if I hadn't had to do podcasts for those, I... Couldn't tell you. And you're right in the sense that they're so self-contained, and you know that there's going to be no connective tissue to the thing that's coming after, Right, that you just don't have to care. It's kind of sad, actually.
1: I mean, contrast that with Shadows Over Innistrad, with the Eldrazi coming to Innistrad, or Ixalan with the vampires and uh, Mesoamerican theme, or Amonkhet. And everything that happened in Amenket and Arak Devastation. I mean, I remember all of these storylines really clearly. And I think part of that is they were developed and marinated over six months instead of this three-month set release window. You know, even the recent Ravnica quote-unquote block, which had the two multicolored sets and then War of the Spark, they were all drafted separately. And they were all thematically a little bit different, but still connected. That worked really well. And we remember what that story was. And maybe that's the model. I will be interested to see what happens with the dual Innistrad sets this fall. They're designed to be drafted separately, can be played together, but maybe we'll get a little bit of a deeper story. How do you feel about these one set stories?
0: I think that the one set stories are more intimidating Mm -hmm. to try and keep up with than multi-set stories. Because if I'm not looking for them specifically, they're going to be gone. And to me, that is a, a, a big issue. Like the only time I was really exposed to the um, the Call Time series was uh, the Voice of All podcast, mm-hmm. which did a great job at rendering the story into uh, like a, 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 a an audio drama, mm-hmm. which was really really cool. But um, I'm not motivated to to search out the story because honestly, you don't need it for the cards. Right. And what would make more sense to me is if there was a buildup in one set and a payoff in another. That would add some sort of stakes to following the story, whereas you get all of that in the course of one set all at the same time, which just naturally doesn't build up the tension that, You're looking for when you're creating any sort of story.
2: Yeah, they're trying to really replicate the whole Marvel cinematic universe type of storytelling where they have these standalone stories, but then you're going to get like connectors and hooks from other possible movies or storylines that connect it and allow them to like have some sort of continuity. But you're not telling a cohesive story in one set. And I think the other thing is when you look at the set, it doesn't make sense why they choose some of the story spotlight cards they do like for example i couldn't tell you outside of maybe i can't even remember what the card is i couldn't tell you what the story spotlight cards are for called mm-hmm. right like they're not distinctive and yeah they have some flavor text to it and i can remember um kaya killing vorenklex but kaya's onslaught yeah, yeah kaya's on slot. i remember but that's yeah. it i couldn't tell you like any of the apparently something um open the omen paths or whatever was one but like i couldn't tell you what that story spotlight was there's no flavor text on it they had the card had all the text in it so i i think i was joking in the last episode about how they just need to make every set like tempest where the story is told on every single card (laughs) like but i think they need to do that because otherwise you're getting this kind of half-hearted attempt with flavor where you're exploring the the lore of the world, but you're also trying to do the story at the same time, and it doesn't really mesh well.
1: I think you both make really good points, and they're both highly compatible. Christian, we are certainly on record about liking the story spotlight cards, but you're right, the lack of flavor text, and maybe part of this is because we've had the wordiest two sets in Magic History over the last two sets, and there's just no flavor text happening, so we're not getting those little pieces. And Morgan, I totally agree. When I think about the Amonkhet block is a great example, right? Amonkhet is this first set and it's this Egyptian theme and you get this flavor for this whole society and what's going on there. And then the payoff comes in the second set after all that buildup where it's like, oh, actually, this is Bolus, and he's been manipulating all of these people. And those things are really resonant. Whereas in a set like this where they just in Strict Save and they dump a bunch of cards on you and they're like, there's a story here, but you're not really going to get it from the cards. You really have to do something external to understand the order of things. It, it doesn't tell itself. And so, I don't know, hopefully we'll we'll get something different in the future.
0: I, I have one more thing to add because yeah. I think it's important to take into consideration when you're thinking about Magic the Gathering as a game. When somebody comes into Magic the Gathering, they're not necessarily coming in on intentionally to at like the beginning of a story, which I think makes it more important to have this kind of two-act structure because having if you come in at the beginning of a two-set block, you are given the the wind-up and you want to know what happens next. But if you come in, for example, in the version of Almanquette where uh, Nicol Bolas has shown that he is in charge, you kind of want to get the context for it. You want to see what led up to this. Mm -hmm. And so I think that where... Somebody could be worried about, you know, watching the sequel before you watch the first movie, but I think it doesn't matter that much especially when it's magic cards and it's a completely different medium
1: i think the most important thing to know is that we're now a vorthos podcast and so i hope everybody's in for that because <laughs> apparently that's what we're doing these days all right well i want to give morgan a big thank you for joining us today morgan where can people find you on the internet
0: uh the best place is to go to my twitter at morgan tries for lots of posts about books but also posts about fitness for some reason
1: yeah. And, you know? You can't just read all the time. you got to work out, too. Best of both worlds. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you, Morgan, and thank all of you for joining us today. You can find us on Twitter at our handle, at MemoryJarMTG. We would love your feedback. And please, tweet at us about what books, what cards, and what cards with books you want to remember.
2: Again, special thanks to Chris Yates for the logo. We greatly appreciate it. You can find Chris on Twitter, at, at CMYCompany, That's Company with K. And until next time, be glad wizards had the foresight not to reprint book burning in Strixhaven and go read some books.